0: We hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Alan Collins. I'm the partner and head of the abuse team at Hugh James. On this week's episode of the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, we're sharing a portion of a recent episode of the British Wrestling Experience podcast. I had the privilege of being interviewed by Martin Bushby on this podcast, along with Alex Davies Jones and Will Cooling. We were discussing the recent all-party parliamentary group report on British wrestling. We hope you enjoy this change of pace.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 75 of the British Wrestling Experience right here on and I'm your host Martin Bushby. Sadly, no Benno with me this month. He's taking a well-earned rest after uh, covering so much WrestleMania for Grapple last week. Um, but it's going to be a, a show of two halves as the first half I'll be looking into the... Uh, all-party parliamentary group on wrestling and having a few guests to discuss the report that was released last week and then also i'll be discussing all the european involvement in wrestlemania with will cooling and then we'll also be talking will osprey in new japan and him obviously winning the iwgp heavyweight title so without further ado i'll uh, take it over to my first guest Right, we're back on the show and joining me now is the Labour MP for Pontypridd in Wales and one of the chairs of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Wrestling, Alex Davies-Jones. Alex, thank you for joining us this week.
2: No problem at all, well, thanks for having me.
1: So um, the report on British wrestling was published uh, last week and it's obviously attracted a lot of attention from a, a variety of different media outlets. But um, I suppose before we get into it, uh, for our listeners who you know, may be unaware um, What actually is an All-Party Parliamentary Group, um, or APBG for short?
2: Yeah, of course. So the All-Party Parliamentary Group for Wrestling is basically what it says on the tin. We're a group of MPs and parliamentarians who have come together, cross-party, representing all all political parties here in Westminster. um, And we've come together with our shared love of British wrestling. And we came together to see how we could best support British wrestling, try and help with our positions here in Westminster in terms of um, helping the industry get through both the COVID pandemic and also some of the serious issues that were systemic amongst the culture of the industry. But then also to try and promote British wrestling, because the past sort of few years, we've seen this huge resurgence in British wrestling. Um, it's fantastic to see we've got British champions, you know, representing us around the world in the industry. And... Um really to showcase how amazing the industry is in terms of its economic impact, cultural impact, um, and something that we should all be overwhelmingly proud of. And if we can fly the flag for the industry here in Westminster, then that's what we want to do.
1: Excellent, because um, the report is, is fairly long, isn't it? And there's obviously no way we could go through it in depth. But um, I just wanted to look at some of the main points, I suppose, um, just to round it up. So sort of what were the main aims of this report when you first set out to do it?
2: Of course, yeah, it's, it's over 100 pages long, the report, and it was um, based off the back of something that we really wanted to do to look into the current situation within British wrestling. You know, there's been so many um, issues being raised with us since we set up the group, both in terms of the speaking out movement, um, in terms of some concerns wrestlers had of health and safety, and then also trying to support the industry going through COVID and trying to boost a recovery post that as well. So we... We did a big call for evidence. We had over 80 submissions to that, which was incredible. Everything from fans to wrestlers to promotions to training schools to academics to healthcare professionals submitted evidence on a wide range of issues. And we wanted it to be all encompassing. And this really is the start of a conversation for us in terms of where we go next and um, hoping that it'll spark the conversations. And it's been great that it's been so positively received. And we've been very clear as MPs and um, supporters of the group in that this report isn't the end for us. This is absolutely the beginning. And we are hoping that it's going to start these conversations and start um, looking at some of the recommendations that we've got within the report to how best we can move forward um, and yeah, it's just starting to spiral and it's fantastic. And I'm really excited about where, where this takes us next.
1: Um, Obviously you uh, are a wrestling fan, but in doing this report, what were some of the main things that sort of stood out for you as problems in British wrestling? I mean, comparing it with other sports and entertainments, did it sort of seem like, like the wild West in terms of like comparing it to other things that are out there?
2: Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. And whenever, um, I mention wrestling in parliament or to other people or to the media and journalists and those who aren't really aware of the situation and the unique circumstances they wrestling finds itself in. They're really shocked to find out how little regulation, well zero regulation there is and how zero accountability and oversight there is on the industry. And sadly that has allowed some really um, systemic problems to persist for so long in terms of, um, unregulated behavior, unacceptable behavior um, and acceptable behavior and you know accounts of bullying and when we took some of the evidence sessions as part of the report from wrestlers and from fans and from people who'd been directly involved in wrestling it was truly shocking and appalling and to hear what they'd been through not just in terms of sexual abuse allegations but just how they were treated in terms of um, health and safety, and um, payment for taking part in shows, and that such little regard for their welfare was was truly appalling to hear. And and I hope that some of the recommendations that we've put forward in the report are able to to make a start in in fixing some of these issues because it's desperately needed.
1: Yeah, because obviously a lot of fans were left horrified last year after uh, speaking out, and obviously the countless stories of uh, alleged abuse in wrestling. Um, and it seems now a lot of fans have either given up on wrestling or are quite reticent to trust British wrestling promotions again. So, I mean, what are some of the key recommendations, sort of, like tackle speaking out and to try and solve some of this, you know, this huge issue uh, apparently in British wrestling?
2: Yeah, of course. And and fans were quite right to be horrified at these at these allegations and at the situation that British wrestling found itself in. And it was quite right that they voted with their feet and said, um, unless change is made change needs to happen enough is enough then we're not supporting british wrestling anymore and um for me as a as a wrestling fan it it was um, it needs to be a turning point and a and a movement in the industry that i love and one of the recommendations that we've put forward in the report is Um, that these victims need a voice and they need to be listened to. It's all right them speaking out, but if nobody's actually listening to what they're saying, then they're just hitting a brick wall. So we were very, very firm in our report that these victims and their experiences need to be given a platform and they need to be listened to. And that information then needs to trickle down into training schools and there needs to be a code of conduct and a fan code of conduct. There needs to be natural justice as well. We were very firm on that. And if anybody is um, accused of um, serious allegations or unacceptable behaviour, then it it absolutely needs to be investigated by the the appropriate authorities, whether that's the police or, or social services or whoever's involved. But ultimately, this needs to be some sort of regulation, which is why our recommendations on classifying um, the industry in the way that we have done. And for those listeners who haven't read the report or seen some of the recommendations, what we're proposing is that training schools are classified as a sport. And then um, promotions and shows are actually classed as theatre and performance and come under the arts umbrella. And, um Just to break it down for you, there's a whole host of reasons why we've come to these recommendations and why the evidence has shown that these are the classifications that are needed. But ultimately, it's so that when training schools are classified as a sport, anybody responsible for holding a position of trust, such as a training coach or um, anybody involved in the training schools, has to come under that safeguarding element. They need those enhanced DBS checks. They need to have that insurance in place they, they will be protected under the law in terms of being unable to have an inappropriate relationship with anybody under the age of 18 because they hold a position of trust. And they'll also be accountable to um, the rel- rel- regulatory bodies, such as Sports England or the devolved equivalents across the UK. And that is absolutely important for protecting young people and vulnerable adults in the re- British wrestling scene.
1: It's obviously abuse is a big issue, not just for wrestling, but we've seen it in a lot of other sports, haven't we? Because obviously the report did recommend that the law be amended to make sports coaches a a position of trust. Um, I mean, in terms of that, is that um, is that something that is happening in terms of um, sort of like sports institutions around the country?
2: Yes, it is. And you're quite right to say that wrestling isn't alone alone in this. You know, we've seen unacceptable unacceptable behaviour within British gymnastics, British cycling, um, the jockey club. All of these um, sporting institutions um, have serious issues they need addressing, whether that's um, misogyny or um, bullying and harassment. And these need to be addressed. And the new bill that's making its way through Parliament, the Police Crime Courts and Sentencing Bill, um, does have the option of having um, sports coaches included in that position of trust so that they, any um, inappropriate relationship with um, an adult aged 18 and children, 18 and below, um, is illegal. And sadly, because wrestling isn't classed as a sport, that that definition isn't there at the moment, they would... There is a risk that wrestling coaches and training schools could fall through the gap and be exempt in this loophole. So what we're trying to do as MPs within the all party group is close that loophole and include wrestling in that definition so that there is no no chance of it falling through the gap and no risk of anybody being excluded from um, legal responsibility when it comes to being in a position of trust with children.
1: Because it was also um health and safety, wasn't it? It was one of the big issues that the report noted. I mean, in terms of training schools not having the same levels as the sort of like um rules and regulations that you might see in other sports, such as sort of boxing and, and judo, maybe.
2: Yeah, it was, yes. It wasn't just all about um risk of abuse and, and bullying and harassment. Health and safety was a major factor, and some of the evidence that we had showed that um Necessary insurance wasn't in place to protect people when they were in training schools. Concussion protocols weren't being um, adopted and guidelines weren't being followed. And if you look at other sports such as, like you said, boxing, judo or football, if anybody there wanted to become a coach in these sports, they would need to complete the necessary safeguarding courses. They would need to complete the necessary first aid training. They would need to know how to how to look after children within their care but wrestling because it hasn't got that clear definition it completely is excluded from all of that requirements for for um establishing a coaching role or a training role and what we've tried to do and recommend is that there should be no no risk of that happening and wrestling shouldn't fall through the gaps there so by including it in the definition of sport it it makes it makes coaches accountable and it makes sure that anybody who wants to train and become a wrestler one day um, is safe to do so. And I want my children to be able to say that they want to you know, try wrestling one day and I want to feel reassured and safe that when I send them to a training school, everything there is going to be above board and follow to the letter of the law and the guidelines and the health and safety will be in place to protect them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because um, I mean, towards the end of the report, you have put a pledge together, haven't you? That um, you know you're asking sort of wrestling promotions and schools um, to sign up to. What's um, actually in the pledge, and um, uh, what are you going to be expecting from these schools and promotions in terms of that?
2: Yeah, of course. So uh, the wrestling pledge, we we thought, what can we do as an all-party group in terms of actual practical work here as a first step to get promotions, fans, training schools on board with us, and. We thought, let's get a pledge together. Let's get. Oh, sorry, I'm in Parliament right now, and that bell is uh, that the uh, the chamber is sitting. So you're getting it first hand too.
1: That's fine.
2: <laughs> no, but um, yeah. So the pledge is um our way of saying that what can what can people sign up to, and fans really wanted um to to sign up to this as well. So it's you know it's basic things like um holding people to account not being inappropriate with wrestlers. If you're a fan at merchandise stores or at meet and greet events, bullying behavior online was something that came out time and time again. And this um, implication of trial by social media. And we wanted fans to be able to, you know, sign up to a code of conduct that said this was completely unacceptable, but also for good business practice as well for some of our, um, promotion so ensuring that they have a license and keeping records of their income and expenditure um, maintaining appropriate gdpr information all things that you would expect any any responsible business and any responsible training school to have um, we've tried to include in this pledge and make it as wide-ranging as possible because until we can get a governing body or a regulatory board in place then this is the this is the bare minimum that we expect from our british wrestling industry
1: yeah, because I suppose some people might say, you know, obviously this is just a recommendation. What stop promotions and schools just carrying on regardless and in, in ignoring all this stuff that's been that's been laid out.
2: Yeah, it is. It is a just a recommendation. But I think why why wouldn't you sign up to this if you are committed to improving the British wrestling industry and to reassuring your fans that you are doing the right thing and you've recognised that there are serious issues within the industry why wouldn't you sign this pledge? And I think that would be my question to those who are refusing to engage with it and refusing to do the right thing. And then they are the they are the companies or the training schools that we need to be investigating and asking more of. And earlier we talked about fans, you know, voting with their feet and saying that they weren't going to support, support wrestlers or promotions who um, weren't going to join us in creating the British wrestling industry that we know and deserve we should have. And they need to hold their wrestlers and promotions accountable and training schools accountable and say, why have you not signed up to this pledge? And and they are the questions that need to be asked.
1: So you mentioned at the start, didn't you, about sort of like you, you did this call out for information and, you know, to help you with your research. And, you know, you had a variety of uh, different people involved in the industry and people outside the industry. I mean, obviously, WWE, obviously, the market leader and the biggest promotion in the world, and they have a British army next to UK and obviously have an interest in other British promotions. Um, Did you reach out to them or, or were they forthcoming in information for this report?
2: We did. We did reach out to them and we have had some initial engagement with them. And of course, as you state, you know, they are the big elephant in the room in this. They are the biggest name in the game and they are trying to make waves in Britain and you know they've got their performance center here which is great and um it's it's a big sign and a big coup for British wrestling that they're taking Britain and British wrestlers seriously and and it's they didn't submit evidence but they are engaged with us and they are keen to work with us to see how best we can support the British wrestling industry we've got some first meetings lined up with them and this inquiry is just the start. And if we can engage with them and get them on board with what we're trying to do and to boost the industry, especially now post-COVID when the industry we know is going to need as much support as possible, then that's a big win for us. And yeah, it's, um, it's the start of what I hope will be a positive and um, supportive relationship
1: because obviously you mentioned uh, earlier about maybe, you know, um sort of like a British a British wrestling governing body. And the thing that really shook me most, and you know, it's right at the start of the report where it, you know, where it notes that, you know, we listen to blame, finger pointing, unhappiness in some cases, Rivado. I mean obviously um, it doesn't take a genius to see that, you know, British wrestling's quite fractured. I mean, do you think we'd ever see something like a governing body for British wrestling considering it take you know, a lot of people coming together and following it to make it happen.
2: I would love to see a governing body for British wrestling. And ultimately the, the evidence that we had into the inquiry and the support from within the industry is overwhelmingly supportive of that idea as well. But ultimately it needs to come from within the British wrestling industry. And, and I and, and my fellow APPG members have been very clear that we are there to support the industry in in whatever they decide to do in terms of setting up Um, this governing body and one of the recommendations within the report is that one is established now the next question for us is what does that look like and potentially we could have another sub inquiry in terms of okay we've now established that british wrestling needs a governing body for all the reasons that we've outlined in the report such as somebody um, who complaints can be made to somebody who is a voice for the industry um, at government level and uh, who can coordinate the industry. And what does that look like? You know, is there a model already in place in terms of some of the other sports or industries that we could use to establish one and set one up, such as um, MMA or boxing or um, judo or martial arts? Um, Or does this need to be uh, start from scratch operational box because wrestling is such a unique industry? Now, I'm, I'm keen to explore where we go next with this idea and if we can bring the British wrestling industry with us as well, then that's what we need to do because this does need to be industry led, but I'd be really keen in the exploration of what a governing body would look like and how we would go in terms of setting one up.
1: Yeah. I'm sure uh, a lot of people will be very interested to see how how something like that come together, but um, obviously the report doesn't claim to have a magic wand, does it? You know, it's not going to solve all the problems and these are just recommendations. So I suppose, You know, um, to wrap up, sort of moving on and the responses you've had so far, uh, what can be done sort of like moving forward past uh, past the report now?
2: Yeah, we don't have a magic wand and we're doing this out of a complete passion project and the love of the industry. Um, So next steps are actually quite exciting. We've got some meetings lined up with government ministers to discuss our recommendations within the report. We've got some further meetings, as I said, with WWE lined up. Um, And also with the industry itself. So we want to meet with wrestling schools now to discuss how we can best implement these recommendations. We've got some um, amendments to the new legislation that's coming through in terms of ensuring that wrestling is included so that it doesn't slip through the gaps, like I mentioned earlier. And then next steps on, what does the governing body look like? Um, How can we get concussion protocols rolled out um, across the industry? There's so many avenues to explore and this is just the beginning. And I'm really keen to maybe come back to you in a couple of months time to say this is the latest this is how we've been working on some of the recommendations to improve the industry but it's an exciting time for us especially as now like I said we open up post-covid and we can hopefully get shows back up and running and get fans back in supporting promotions.
1: Yeah because people probably should definitely go out and um you know check out the report it is available on your website isn't it alexdavisjones.com and obviously just Google APPG Wrestling and it'll come up there. But any final sort of like thoughts or anything you wanted to mention before uh, before we head out of here?
2: All I would mention is that we're really keen to engage with fans within the industry. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about the report today. And if anybody does have feedback for us, please get in touch with us on Twitter or via our email address. We're keen to hear what you think about the report. And And if anybody wants to get involved as well, we're always looking for willing volunteers to help improve the industry that we love.
1: And a huge thanks to Alex there for taking the time to speak with us there. And uh, moving on, joining me now, I have two more guests to talk about the APPG report on wrestling. And firstly, is Will Cooling from the Pro Wrestling Torch. Will, thanks for joining me this month.
3: Always a pleasure, Martin, to be here, be on here with you.
1: And uh, next up is one of the UK's leading lawyers in uh, sexual abuse litigation. He's, he's been involved with uh, some very high profile cases over here in the UK, including a uh, Jimmy Samuel and the Abuse Scandal in Jersey. I'd like to welcome Alan Collins. Alan, thanks for coming on.
0: Thank you. Um, Pleasure and a privilege to be on. So thank you, Martin, for inviting me. And pleased to meet you too, Will.
1: And uh, Alan, sort of like uh, just going in before we get into the report itself, were you you a fan of wrestling? Any experience uh, watching wrestling uh, prior to reading this report?
0: I'm glad you didn't ask me whether i'm a wrestler because the answer would be no (laughs) but um um no you know wrestling was sort of staple diet when i was growing up so i'm going to be sort of giving away um my age profile here but in the 70s you know um um wrestling was on in the afternoons um you know watched either deliberately or as a prelude to the football results you know my dad was um um keen footballer and you know football pools and all that kind of thing so he wanted the results every um Saturday afternoon for his coupon and um yeah so um the television we turned on and you know I've just got these vivid memories of watching wrestling in black and white with giant haystacks and big daddy and so on and being you know you know you know, watching you know that you know that you know the watching them wrestle. You know, it was very exciting. You know, and it was very interesting and exciting. And you know, the more noise there was, and the more um you know, violence, so to speak, um you know, the more interesting it got. So yes, I've got these very fond and vivid memories of watching wrestling in black and white.
3: We should probably just, for the benefit of the Americans and any younger listeners, we should explain what a football pool was, because literally. Back in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, even in the early 90s, no national lottery. Gambling was quite restricted outside the horse racing business. And so the best way to do gambling on football was the pools, which was literally a game where you picked the games that ended in a score draw. And it was huge, you know, right up until I, I remember it kind of went at, went started to slide after national lottery it was introduced in the mid-90s. But that was like the biggest gambling in the country outside horse racing.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, you know, but my father, you know, oh, you know, no, he was, you know, he needed those results on a Saturday afternoon, come what may, regardless, you know, and um, yeah, he was like, 10s of 1000s of people up and down the land, you know, um, you know, football pools, you know, it was big business, it was a big thing.
1: Yeah, it certainly was. And um, I know a lot of uh, British wrestling fans will have sort of like memories of that world of sport area, especially if you go out and talk to a lot of people, they do talk about the world of sport area of wrestling. But I suppose moving beyond that, um, you know, before we get into the report itself, um Alan, obviously, one of your main areas of expertise is with abuse in sports. Were you were made were you made aware last year of all the abuses happening in British wrestling? Obviously, we had the speaking out movement and people reading all these horrifying stories that, that were happening in you know local training schools and also British promotions around the UK. Yeah,
0: I was. Uh, I was shocked. Actually, my colleague Danielle Vincent um, has an interest in um, all of this, and she has. Um, Um, friends um, um, concerned with wrestling and um, she was talking about it and I was I was quite shocked but then on the other hand perhaps I did not ought to be shocked because wherever you have sports um, activities um, involving young people there is always that risk of you know um, abuse taking place so yes I was surprised but stepping back why would wrestling be any different to any other sport or activity?
1: So um, the report was released, uh, the parliamentary report um, last week, and um, obviously um, you've had great experience in sort of like dealing with sort of like issues um, around sort of like abuses in sports. Um, what was your um, initial thoughts upon reading the report and how it relates to the work that you do?
0: I thought the report was very constructive. It does raise a series of questions, though, that wrestling needs to get to grips with because the APPG um, have not really got to grips with some of the big issues. So I don't want to detract from the report because I think the report is very powerful, very constructive, and it would be, in my experience, um, very unwise to ignore what they're saying. So obviously I come from a position where I see, tragically, children, young people getting abused in these kind of sports settings. We've had it with um, football. We've had it with athletics. You, You know, whether we like it or not, sexual abuse of young people can happen in any corner, in any setting. And so what wrestling needs to be concerned with is safeguarding and it should not get caught up in semantics as to whether wrestling is a sport or not a sport or whatever it needs to face up to the fact that bad things happen and so it needs to ensure that it's got its house in order to try and minimize the risk to young people because if it doesn't then it's going to damage itself obviously lots of people are going to get hurt along the way and that's avoidable but wrestling collectively Needs to avoid that happening for the individuals concerned, but also for its own sake.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think um, I think that was very well put. Um, but Will, you wanted to ask some follow-up, um, certainly concerning sort of like DBS checks and things in in wrestling.
3: Yeah, no. So I think I agree, I agree with Alan to begin with. I think the report is a constructive first step, and I think one of the things it does quite a good job of in several instances is basically map out the the extent of the problem. And I think one of the best elements it does that in is talking about DBS checks, because one of the things I've been annoyed at this past year is people kind of holding up basic DBS checks as a way of dealing with these issues. And obviously they have their place, but it's really the enhanced DBS checks that will allow you to actually make sure um, young people are safe in wrestling schools could you just explain alan the diff- for our listeners the difference between a basic and an enhanced dbs check and what you have to do for a position to be war- no to warrant an enhanced dbs check well okay so to get to that s- stage though
0: um a lot needs to happen and i think we also have to recognize and this is my own opinion, and others may not agree with me, Um, you need to avoid the situation where you think that DBS checks or enhanced DBS checks are some kind of panacea. They're very important, but you've got to have the right environment to make sure that they are going to be of value, okay? So, um, you know, identifying somebody with a criminal record Is one thing, Um, and you can say right. This we've done a a check, and this person's got a criminal record, so we're not going to have him coming through or her coming through these doors. Fine, but sadly and tragically, um, lots of young people get abused by people who haven't got a criminal record, who haven't necessarily come onto the radar of the authorities before so you know uh, you know an enhanced DBS check may not even pick up anything about this particular person because they've never come to anybody's attention before and so you don't want to get into this position where you think aha you know we're doing all of this so we're okay and everything's going to be okay because the problem is that you find down the road it wasn't okay because you haven't got the right culture in place so um you know i was looking um yesterday at um um some safeguarding um that's published by um british wrestling you know that's all good you know that's you know it says saying all the right things but uh, you know wrestling is diffuse. If i think that's the right way of putting it you know it's there is no sort of overarching regulatory bodies, I understand it, but can enforce, um, carry out rain checks, make sure that all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed when it comes to safeguarding. So if you've got a sort of splintered setup, you know, that is... A risk in itself because in the absence of some kind of overarching regulatory body how are you going to make sure that every club every organization every coach every school is doing what it's supposed to be doing and if they turn around and say oh well we're doing a dbs check fine but that is probably not going to be enough so you've got to start thinking like the um, APG are sort of saying in their report, think about um, governance and you've also got to think about culture. So that, let's say you've got a school um, and you've got obviously young people there. Supposing if something isn't quite right, would that youngster know who to express their concerns to, who would they go to, and if they did go to that particular person, does that particular person know what he or she should then do with that bit of information? What do they do with it? Who do they go to? And so on. So um, that is what leaps out at me from the from the report. Um, you know, I think wrestling from what I'm hearing and from what I've read, it's got some pretty fundamental questions that it needs to ask itself and come up with some answers.
3: Yeah, if I could just come back to that, I agree with that entirely. I mean, the the point I was going to make with the enhanced DBS checks, which the report makes as well, is at the moment wrestling training is so chaotic, Hmm. they probably don't have anybody... Who um, would qualify to be eligible? Because enhanced DBS checks, you have to be working on a sustained basis with young people and vulnerable adults. But because you have this horrible thing where often wrestling training schools don't have identified lead trainers, they have children uh, training with adults and with no bespoke children's classes, you can't even get that little bit extra that comes from Mm. an enhanced check. You know. No things that weren't that didn't end up in convictions can be disclosed, so you know if there's a problem. And I think it goes back to that wider thing of, like you were saying, it's about the culture, it's about professionalism, it's it's about your risk assessment. Do do you have it where you 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 do you have people supervising the coaches at all time, or is it actually a coach, a lead wrestler, just being allowed to train individual wrestlers on a one on one basis? Things like social media, things like how they contact each other. Yeah. You know, at wrestling at the moment, you've got young. No, you've got children who are wrestlers who are sharing cars of adults who, who who haven't been checked, who are giving adults their personal phone number or their social media profile. This would be unheard of scenario. Let us say you've
0: got a particular school and there's a concern that an adult a um, member of you know the coaching staff um keeps wandering into the changing room okay nothing actually happens but this individual keeps wandering into the changing room the you know which you know is the changing room used by the by the youngsters the children and young people you know which clearly is not supposed to happen um and I think it's an example that is perhaps cited um British um, um, wrestling Um, what do you do with that information you know unless you've got the structure there and unless it's going to be dealt with properly and recorded um, investigated and so on um, whether you have a DBS check or an enhanced DBS check you know it's not going to come up and you know that that particular individual let us say he or she is asked to leave um, because you know um, of, their, of their sort of conduct, you know they actually haven't necessarily committed a criminal offence, but their behaviour gives rise to concern. You know they could go wandering off to the next town, and you know start training with some other club or or school or whatever it happens to be, um, and that is. That is the sort of low-level issue, concern, that unfortunately can lead to all the sorts of problems that we want to avoid. And I think it comes back, Will, to the question that you're asking me, which is that, you know, there needs to be in place a proper um, structure, a proper level of governance. um, And, you know, um, that governing body needs to have the ability to you know, check up on safeguarding to make sure that it's working.
3: Could I ask you another question, Alan? I don't know if you've had any experience with this, because obviously wrestling, is, wrestling in Britain in particular is slightly unique because you have children performing alongside adults. And I think most people in Britain would defend that. You know, maybe it's gone, mm-hmm. it's gone too far, but certainly older children being allowed to perform, against, uh, perform with adults um, is a benefit to them. Yeah. um the only thing I could think of is things like dance and acting, where you have children performing with adults. It's not obviously something that's going to happen in sports um, very 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 often. What type of safeguarding measures can you put in place when you it's not so much training now it's it's during performances it's during events when children are performing as part of a cast. Of performers, most of whom are adults,
0: it sounds like a difficult question, but I don't think it actually has a difficult answer because it all comes back to the to the basics is you know you've got to have the right culture. so if you've got the right culture, the issues that flow from that kind of scenario um, are, are, can be identified. And you can risk assess and you can decide and determine what are the issues? What are the potential problems? What are the risks? um, And have we got the right policies and procedures in place to make sure that we've minimised the risk of anything going wrong from a safeguarding perspective? And if, heaven forbid, there is something wrong, everyone knows where they stand and what they need to do. So... I don't think in itself um, it's difficult if you have got the right structure and the right culture in place. You know, you just think about it, you know, you know, if, you know, it could be to everyone's benefit that, you know, adults and young people are taking part together, you know, um, And, you know, it could be, as I said, to everyone's benefit or to everyone's advantage. And it would be a great shame to just, you know, to stop it if that is the case. But, of course, you've got to take the responsibility with that. And it just brings me back to what we were talking about a few moments ago, which is ensuring that you have got, and I'm repeating myself, correct governance, effective governance, the right culture, the right policies and procedures in place so that you can analyze the risk and minimize the risk accordingly.
1: I think um, I think we are sort of like years away from having sort of like any sort of regu- regulatory body in British wrestling. But I suppose, Alan, from your expertise, uh, what are some initial things that sort of like promotions and uh, training schools can be doing to, sh- to, you know, to get themselves on the right track? Because as we've discussed, you know, uh, and I-, I talked about this with Alex um, saying that, you know, it, it seemed like it was a wild west out there in British wrestling. What are some initial things that people can be looking at and, and doing?
0: Well, I think everyone needs to understand if something goes wrong, there could be criminal law consequences. But leaving that to one side, those who run organizations um, concerned with wrestling ultimately could have a civil liability for anything that goes wrong so let's give a very simple example let us say a coach decently assaults a young person then not only is the coach liable both in criminal law but also in civil law and those who are responsible for the coach could also find themselves responsible in civil law and it could cost them a small fortune in, you know um Um, the harm that can be caused to a young person as a result of being indecently assaulted can be immense. And, you know, the the claims that can be brought can be considerable because of the consequences. So not only is there, you know, the criminal um, side to all of this, there's the civil law aspect as well, which could, you know, result in um, compensation being ordered by the courts, you know, it could it could easily ruin an individual or a business. And, you know, some may well be insured for this type of thing. But insurance companies, in my experience, are always looking to see what policies and procedures are in place. And, you know, insurers do not want to pay out compensation unless they have to do so. And insurers are not going to insure individuals and organisations who are not seen to be as responsible as perhaps they ought to be so it comes back to what we were talking about right at the beginning you know this appg report is extremely constructive and because it's pointing to lots of potential issues which wrestling needs to address if wrestling doesn't address um, these issues and children and young people are hurt um, then it's going to cost wrestling a great deal not only just in reputation but financially so Individually, any organisation concerned with the training of young people, um, young people performing wrestling, um, promoting wrestling, which engages young people, they all potentially have a civil liability, which means that they've got to accept their responsibility to ensure that they've got appropriate safeguarding and procedures in place. Because if they don't and something goes wrong, then as I said, it's going to cost them in reputation, but it will also cost them in in um, in financial terms too.
1: Um, will, any, any sort of final questions
3: for Alan? No, I thought that was great. And I think I think one of the key things that I think came from what Alan has said is, is that culture and atmosphere particularly in training schools and it's also it goes about that thing of do you have you no know, clear structure are you keeping registers of the adults who are taking training uh, no are you doing communications a proper way like this is all really basic um and I think I saw you um, last week Alan saying like it is shocking that wrestling can't even do these basic things, let alone having a proper governing body to handle the really worst-case scenarios as well.
0: And, of course, wrestling can look at other sports um, and other activities as well and see what works well and also what has gone wrong, because we see time and time again with lots of organisations which you would assume would would have got their act together but have not. So they've got lots of written policies. But whilst they look good on paper, in practice, they turned out to be meaningless because all these fancy detailed policies were created. They all looked good. They all sounded good, but they were shoved literally in an envelope and placed on top of a filing cabinet or in a filing cabinet where no one looked at them. So it's a big error for any organization to think, oh, well, we've now got a safeguarding policy. Hey, hey, box ticked, we're okay. Far from it, you know, that is fool's paradise. So not only do you have to have the procedure, you need to understand it and you need to ensure that your staff and your colleagues and everybody in your organization actually understands it. And you not only do that today, but you do it next week, next month, next year, and so on. You have to go back to it because people forget and people fall into a sort of sense of, you know, it's not going to happen here, we're okay, nothing nasty is going to happen here. And they have a false sense of um, security, where in fact it's insecurity because, you know, they don't know what they're doing. They think they do, but they don't. And there are organisations out there that will come in and, pressure test your policies and procedures and so look to see what has happened elsewhere and you could look at the independent inquiry for Sexual abuse it looked at all sorts of different organizations and institutions up and down the land and speaking to myself there's lots of common threads and patterns where which showed you yeah you know um, very able intelligent business orientated people had gone to the trouble of having policies and procedures in place, but they didn't work because they were sort of forgotten about and they weren't tested and retested and staff weren't reminded, staff weren't properly trained or retrained, more importantly. Um, And so all I would say to any organisation out there concerned with wrestling is your opportunity, it's wake-up time, Don't
1: get caught out. That was brilliant. Thank you, Alan. Really eye-opening, certainly a lot of uh, food for thought in in what you've been saying there. And uh, yeah, I think it is going to be a long, hard road for uh, British wrestling. But uh, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a very busy man, but thank you for taking the time to speak with us uh, today.
0: Thank you, Martin. Nice to meet you too, Will. Thank you, Alan. If you are interested in British wrestling, then be sure to check out the rest of the British Wrestling Experience podcast. As we mentioned in the interview, we discussed the All-Party Parliamentary Group Report on British Wrestling. The APPG report has raised a number of serious concerns and questions which the world of wrestling need to think about and address. So I hope you found the podcast of interest. Join us again next week on the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast when we'll return to a more normal episode if I can put it like that. So thank you for joining us and look forward to sharing a podcast with you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at about abuse
2: at hjtalks.co.uk.